will be taken from Colossians 1. It can be found on page 1,832. Colossians 1, verses 15 through 23. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things were created by him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior. But now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight, without blemish and free from accusation, if you continue in your faith, established and firm, not moved from the hope held out in the gospel. This is the gospel that you heard and that has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven, and of which I, Paul, have become a servant. This is the word of the Lord. So, uh, Right off the bat, this morning, I want you to just give yourself a pat on the back, because we made it through Esther, <laughs> all right? And we, we went from a book uh, that didn't mention God at all, not even once, uh, to a, a, a place in, in the Bible, Paul's letters, that, that mention God quite often. Uh, we, we, we made it from a book that uh, w- it was really hard to find how God was at work uh, to a place that, is, that it seems to be quite easy. This hymn that uh, Paul includes in the book of Colossians on how, who Christ is, who the Son of God is in, in our world and, and, and what role he has in ruling our world. And it's clear, if, if, you, if, if you listen to the text that Anita read, it's clear that Christ is king. And that's what we're celebrating this Sunday, that, that Christ is king. This is Christ the King Sunday. This is the last Sunday in the, the calendar year of the church. And, and next week we begin Advent. Christ is king. And because it matters who your king is. It matters a lot. In the movie, The King's Speech which is based upon the life of King George VI, the British king. He was uh, thrust into power, into being the king in in a time that was rather difficult. Uh, Right before World War II, 
broke out. He was put in power. And, and in, a, in a time in history when the radio was being used for communicating everything. And, and, so, and the king was the one who delivered messages on behalf of the people. And so King George VI is thrust into this. But the problem is that he had a stammer. He had a speech impediment, and he couldn't speak clearly. And he struggled with this. When the people needed a confident leader, they had a self-conscious and, and, quite frankly, a scared speaker. And in the movie, The King's Speech, he says this. He says, I am the seat of all authority. Because when they think that when I speak for them, I speak for them, but I can't speak, he says. When I speak, I speak for them, but I can't speak. Because what King George knew was that kings lead people. Kings hold power. Kings are the source of authority. And what he was stressed and scared about was the fact that who the people would look to to ease their anxiety during, during the war, he couldn't do it. He's right. You know, we may not have kings in the same way as they, they had in the past. Our governments aren't formed in the same way. But we still have things in our lives that speak for us. And the truth is, whatever it is that speaks for you in your life, whatever directs you, whatever calls you to, to follow, that's your king. And so for King George, he knew that the people looked at him, right? I am the source of authority. And so in this Sunday, this Christ the King Sunday, I think this passage calls us to look at who our king is and how does that change our lives because our king matters. And so this morning I want to look at this passage under three headings or three points. First, the rescue that we all need. Second, the supremacy of the true king. And third, the reach of Jesus Christ. So first, the rescue. Second, the king. And third, the reach of Jesus. So first, the rescue that we all need. We may think that the idea of having a king is long gone. You know, 75 years ago, 500 years ago, we, we know from history, this is, this is how society w was run, but, but not so anymore. I, I'd imagine that if you uh, just took a stroll down the street to, to Jackson Square and, and talked to somebody uh, around there and said, you know, you know, do you have a king? Who's your king? They, they would probably say something like, I don't, I don't believe I have a king. I... I, I I make all the decisions. You know, I call the shots in my life. I don't want to have to follow anyone. I don't want anyone to, to tell me how to think or how to act. I want to make those decisions for myself. I'm an independent human being. Thank you very much. Uh, this is also the, the sentiment that the rapper Kanye West gives when he says this, I'm a king because I know how to rule myself. Or the other rapper, DMX, talked about this in, in an interview with Rolling Stone magazine. He said this, he said, I am a king regardless of what I've been through my life. 
I present myself as a king. And I get respect from people, from everyone I deal with. I've worked my whole life to establish this, and this is how I live. In other words, don't tell me what to think. Don't tell me what to do. I'm the king of my own life, thank you very much. I know how to rule myself. Doesn't this sound so freeing to us? I can remember when I was a teenager and I got my driver's license and for the first time in my life I thought I had some freedom until I took the family van out on a Friday night and my parents gave me a curfew and told me to be back by 11 o'clock. Right? But to me, my, my teenage self says, don't tell me what time to... I have a driver's license. I'm free to make my own decisions. Thank you very much. He, hearing this, this curfew imposed on me, it was kind of like, you know, you might as well just chain me to my desk, right? Now, why did I react this way? Because I'm a king, don't you see? I can make my own decisions, thank you very much without saying it, and perhaps even without meaning it, I basically told my parents that I know better than you. I know what's best for me. And it's not being back at 11 o'clock on a Friday night. And whether we know it or not, we say this to God, too. We do. And this is exactly the same thing that Adam and Eve said in the garden, right? When, when, when they took the fruit and they ate it, they said, God had said to them, you can eat from any of the trees in the garden, but except for this one. And they said to him, I think we can make our own rules. I think we know what's best for us. And they ate it. The Bible has a name for this kind of thinking. Right? Every time that we, we think of ourselves as kings, and I'm using kings not in, in a gender-specific way, uh, but it, just to describe how we think that we are the center of our own lives, kings or queens. Right? The Bible has a word for this. It's sin. Right? Every time we make decisions with ourselves at the center, we make decisions that go against God, and we continue to act this way, whatever it is, money, sex, power, we present ourselves as kings and queens. We know what's best for us. Don't tell me what to do. See, we all want freedom. We want the freedom to make decisions, to choose for ourselves what's, what's best for us. And, but, but the problem is that, that we've opened up that can of worms, Right, so my 18-year-old self who, who didn't want to have a curfew, right, that's one thing. But that can of worms that I opened saying, I want to make my own decisions, see, that, that leads into all of life. Because once we make decisions on that, well, don't you want to make decisions on where to go to school, to university, or what job to take, or if we should move cities, or marry this person, or... And then, all of a sudden, we're on the hook for making, thinking and finding answers to things like, what's the problem with, with pain and suffering? Why, is, why does that exist in our world? If, if you're the king and queen, you've got to come up with answers for those things. Being 
our own kings and queens means that we need to find answers for questions we are, we are not qualified to answer. And yet, we still do this. Even though we know we can't, we still try every day to rule ourselves. We can't help it. This is exactly why Paul wrote this passage in Colossians, because what he's saying to the Colossian Christians, and, and they're up against uh, teachers who are coming in and saying, no, that's not exactly who Jesus was. Jesus was this. That's not exactly how you're saved, how you have salvation. This is. And Paul writes, includes this passage into Colossians as a way to say, if you don't have Jesus Christ as your foundation, if you don't see him as the king in your life, then you're sunk. It has to be built on Christ the king. We all need to be rescued from this idea that we can be our own masters and our own lords. So that brings us to our second point, the supremacy of the king. Because what this passage does is clearly point to the fact that Jesus Christ is sovereign and supreme over all. If you think about it, uh, one of the things that, or three things that you want a king to do. What, what do we want kings to do? We want them to be powerful, right? A king has to have power. A king also, we, we want kings and, and queens to be involved, right? We want rulers to be involved in our lives. And we want them to lead us. To be powerful, to be involved, and to lead Brothers and sisters, this, in this passage, Paul names Christ as the one who does all three. And I'll just point it out quickly for us this morning. The Son is the image of the invisible God. So Jesus is the Son of God. The second person in the Trinity. Verse 16, For in him all things were created, things in heaven and things on earth. He is before all things, and all things have been created in him and for him. Verse 17, he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Key repeated word, all things. Not some things, all things were created. All things were created for him. He is before all things, in him all things hold together. He is powerful over all. That's who the Son of God is. Second, he's also involved in what's going on in our world. Verse 17 says that in him all things hold together. I read a commentator this week who put it like this. He said, he is the sustainer of the universe and the unifying principle of this life. Apart from his conscious sustaining activity, all would disintegrate. Everything would cease to be without Christ Son of God holding it all together. What this means is that Jesus is that Jenga block, that one that you can't touch or you know the tower is going to fall apart. That's who he is. He holds all things together. If you just, I took a breath. That was given to me by the Son of God. He holds all things together. And thirdly, he's also leading. Verse 18 says that he is the head of the church, his body. He is the beginning of the firstborn among the dead. He is leading us, and he continues to lead us. 
See, what a passage like this has the power to do is give us perspective. But if we're left just with this, if we just have this this picture of the supremacy of the Son of God and how amazing it is, that's not good news. Because we are still people who like to be our own masters and lords. And we need, we need more than a king. We need someone to rescue us. And so we reach our third point, the reach of Jesus. Because the hope for us on this Christ the King Sunday is not just that we have a king who is above all things, in all things, holding all things together, but one that got involved. One that came down. God became a man. Verse 19 says it, that God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, in Jesus, and through him to reconcile, to bring to himself all things, whether things on, hev- in, on earth or things in heaven. How? By making peace through his blood shed on the cross. What the Bible gives us is a king who's not just powerful, who's not just involved in holding things together, who's not just leading us, but one who loves us. One who loves us so much that that he actually let himself be subjected to a crowd of bullies. You know, it's it's ironic when, when you read in the Gospels, how, before Jesus was crucified, the crowds were shouting with the breath that Jesus gives to them, crucify him, crucify him. The king of the universe was allowing them to say this. He had all his power and authority and dignity stripped of him when he was crucified on the cross naked. Why did he do this? This is, this is how far the love of God goes. To reach down out of heaven and to reconcile, to bring us back into relationship with him. And Jesus did this so that as, as Paul writes in verse 22, he has reconciled us by Christ's physical body through death to present you as holy in his sight without blemish, free from accusation. So God looks at Jesus and sees us. You know, the most repeated command in the whole Bible is not try harder. It's not stop sinning. It's don't fear. Do not be afraid. Because of what Jesus has done for us, none of us have to be afraid afraid of falling short, afraid of of being rejected by God. We have a king who reached down out of heaven to die for us. He came down and became a man to die on the cross. And this table in front of us tells us this again and again. Every time we partake in communion, we remember the fact that Jesus Christ has died for us. It's a symbol and a seal of his grace in our lives. So come and eat. Don't be afraid. Come and, and, and drink. Don't be afraid. This is Christ given for us. 
the grace of Jesus Christ allows us to actually be free from needing to be paralyzed by making all these decisions in our lives or, or being our own kings. Because we have a, a, a true and great king who rules over us. What if we actually believed that? What if we, we actually believed that, that Christ is working for the best for us in all things? You know, I don't care if you've been, if you're a new Christian or a Christian for 50 years, every person, every human being sitting in this room has places in their lives where we are reluctant to trust. We are reluctant to hand the keys over to God to rule our lives. You know, I'm, I may be pastor, but I'm not exempt from this either. Right? There's, there's, there's things in my life, places where I hold on to control, where I like to call the shots. And a passage like this calls me to let go, calls me to trust. Do I trust the king of the universe, the one who's giving me breath with my whole life? It's a gut check. What if we believe Jesus, that he does want to be our king? How would that change how this congregation lives? How would this change how this congregation is generous with the gifts that God has given to us, with our time, in our relationships? How would this change us? You know, I've heard uh, that it's said before, you know, we, anyone sitting in this room, would be so grateful to have a minute with the prime minister. Right? Maybe not all of us, maybe not this prime minister, but to be in the presence of somebody who has that power, that much influence, we love to be in the same room as that person, even for a minute. What this passage is telling us is that we are actually able, we are actually children of the king. And, and, and a child is the only person who can actually wake the king up in the middle of night for a glass of water. That's what we can do. That's how God sees us. What if we were to live like it? Thanks be to Christ that he is our king. That he has come down and given his life for us. Thanks be to Christ. Let's pray.